Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a paranormal and true crime podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I will be taking you through some of the most morbid, heinous, and shocking crimes, plus the paranormal, as you join me bi-weekly to cure your morbid curiosity. Take time to join me on Facebook to discuss with other listeners, get updates, etc., and on Instagram to view photos related to the cases that I cover. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on the platform that you listen on. Don't forget to grab your snacks and a drink. Let's get started. This is Morbid Curiosity. So bipolar disorder is a mental health condition defined by periods or episodes of extreme mood disturbances that affect mood, thoughts, and behavior. There are two types of bipolar disorder, bipolar 1, which involves episodes of severe mania and often depression, bipolar 2, kind of involves a less severe form of mania called hypomania, and there is another type, which is a third type known as cyclothymic disorder, Um, but we're going to mainly stick with bipolar 1 so far. Is in my mind now. I'm not a doctor, but I th- I have a theory. So just hear me out. Um, we'll get to it in a minute. Now there is estimates that suggest around 4.4 percent of U.S. adults will have bipolar disorder at some point in their lives. Genetics are thought to play a significant role, although brain abnormalities and environmental factors also contribute to causing bipolar disorder. Mood stabilizers are usually the first-line treatment, but electroconclusive therapy, or ECT, may be used to address severe symptoms. The exact causes of bipolar disorder are not entirely understood. Now, research has shown that genetics do play a significant role. Other causes include changes in the brain as well as environmental factors, including childhood trauma, or maybe some stress caused by a major life change. Understanding the causes may help scientists to develop ways to prevent or even treat the condition. So there's also been a twin study where they studied a set of twins or maybe multiple set of twins where one has bipolar, the other one is like 40% more susceptible to having it as well. Um, it all can trigger the environmental influences, inherited factors, genetic vulnerability, everything it can, it can trigger a onset for the disorder. Now, bipolar disorder is typically treated with medications, sometimes the ECT that we talked about earlier, or transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is TMS, um, therapy, and psychoeducation. So has a lot of different you know methods that it can be treated with 
Common medications include mood stabilizers or anticonvulsants, as well as second or third generation antipsychotics. Now, they do try to stay away from antidepressants um, because it's possible risk of having a mania episode or rapid cycling. Your condition also may qualify you in the ADA, which is Americans with Disabilities Act, for disability payments. I don't know if you guys knew that. I did not. You can get disability payments if you are qualified enough with your disability with bipolar. You can get payments. You can also um, get accommodations from your employer if you're having issues with working. Um, now, please don't Google bipolar disorder and diagnose yourself. Only a doctor or qualified mental health professional can diagnose you with bipolar disorder. You may want to see your doctor if you are experiencing symptoms of mania, depression, or both. Symptoms of mania can include in talking excessively, racing thoughts, decreased sleep, delusions, maybe some other things. Symptoms of depression, we all know pretty much everybody has depression, it's just being human. But symptoms of depression can include fatigue, prolonged sadness, loss of interest in your activities. Now, we've covered bipolar 1 and 2, but there is one thing that I want to discuss in detail just a little. Hypomania. My theory is, now I'm not a doctor, do not quote me on this, I am not a medical professional, this is just my opinion and my theory. I feel like Elisa Lamb, she did have, she was medically diagnosed with bipolar and depression disorders. My thing is, hypomania fits kind of what she was doing. Hypomania is a symptom of bipo bipolar disorder and it includes racing thoughts, impulsive and other out of character behaviors, elevated moods. It is marked by increased excitability, irritability, and excessive energy. People may seem restless, overly talkative, highly distracted, or overly focused on specific activities. A decreased need for sleep, engaging in risky behaviors, and inappropriate social behaviors can also be symptoms. So once we go over this case, now like I said, this is just something that I was reading that I thought fit her behavior that we've seen on CCTV. So once we get through the case, let me know your opinion. Tell me your theory. What do you think? Was it paranormal? Are you, you know, throwing it to the paranormal side? Or do you think her mental illness played a part? Let's get into it and send me your ideas at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. Lisa was born April 30th, 1991, and was the first generation born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to her parents David and Yima Lam, who were immigrants from Hong Kong. She had one sibling, a sister named Sarah, to whom she was reportedly close with, and they both shared a love for fashion. Elisa was a student at the University of British Columbia. In mid-2010, she joined the blogging platform Blogspot and started her own blog with the name Ether Fields. She mostly posted fashion photos and models as well as her own live content, which included her struggles with her mental illness. She continued to post on that blog platform for a couple of years, 
before deciding to quit Blogspot for another of her blog, Noelle Nouveau, that she started on Tumblr. Here again, she posted fashion photos, quotes, memes, film clips, photography, and some of her own personal written posts. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression and had been given several medicines for the problem, including Wellbutrin, Lamotrigine, Quidiapine, Dextrine, Sansul, and Finlafaxin. According to her family, who reportedly kept her mental illness private, she had no history of suicidal ideations or attempts, although one report claimed that she had previously gone missing for a brief period. Elisa had a history of not taking her bipolar medications and, as a result, on several occasions, suffered hallucinations that would cause her to hide under her bed for refuge. She was hospitalized at least once one of these episodes. On January 26, 2013, she arrived in LA. She had just come from the Amtrak train from San Diego and was headed to Santa Cruz as part of her solo trip around the West Coast. The trip was supposed to be a getaway, a getaway from life, from her studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, her family had been really worried about her traveling by herself, not only probably because this is speculation, probably because she wasn't medicated and, you know, she wasn't really taking care of herself really well. That's just me saying that, not her family. Now, that's just my assumption, but even so, she was young, so what parent wouldn't be worried? Now, as a compromise, she made sure to check in with her parents every day of the trip to let them know that she was safe and doing well. She visited the San Diego Zoo. She even posted photos on social media of that trip. On January 26th, she arrived in LA. After two days, she checked into the Cecil Hotel near downtown's Skid Row. Now, we'll get into Cecil Hotel in just a minute. She was initially assigned to share room on the hotel's fifth floor. However, her roommates complained about what the hotel's lawyer would later describe as a certain odd behavior, and she was moved to a room of her own after two days. According to Amy Price, the manager of the Cecil Hotel, aka Stay on Main, at the time of her disappearance, Elisa was leaving notes of her roommates what said, go home, go away, she would even lock the door to the room and require a password for entry. A few days before her disappearance, she attended a live taping of Conan in Burbank, but was escorted off the premises by security due to disruptive behavior. Now, of course, this kind of leaves you wondering, was she medicated during this time, right? It sounds to me like she was having an episode. That's just my pure speculation. I am not a doctor. But to me, she we already know she has a history of not taking her medications and hallucinating. It sounds to me that she was having a mental break. And unfortunately, no one really thought about it and just thought this girl's weird and 
she unfortunately didn't receive the help that she could have gotten. On January 31st, 2013, the day she was scheduled to check out of the Cecil and leave for Santa Cruz, her parents did not hear a word from her. They immediately called the LAPD. Her family then flew personally to LA to search for her. Hotel staff who saw Lisa that day and said she was alone. Outside the hotel, Katie Orphan, manager of the last bookstore, was the only person who recalled seeing her that day. She told CNN, quote, She was outgoing, very lively, very friendly, while getting gifts to take home to her family. She was talking about what books she was getting and whether or not she was getting would be too heavy for her to carry around as she traveled, end quote. Police searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could. They searched her room, even had the dogs go through the building including the rooftop, but the dogs were unsuccessful in detecting her scent. Sergeant Rudy Lopez said, quote, but we didn't search every room. We could only do that if we had probable cause to believe a crime had been committed, End quote. On February 6th, a week after she had been seen, the LAPD decided more help was needed. They then produced flyers with her image and were posted all in the neighborhood as well as online and it brought immediate public attention through the media. On February 13th, another week with no sign of Elisa, the LAPD released a video of the last known sighting of her taken in one of the elevators by a surveillance video camera on January 31st. In approximately two and a half minutes of the footage, Elisa alone makes unusual moves and gestures. She appears to press every button on the elevator panel, peers into the hallway, then leaves the elevator at one point while its doors remain open. While the doors fail to close after she returns, she leaves the doors closed later. The cameras caught her acting strangely in the elevator, at times appearing to yell at someone out of view as well as apparently attempting to hide from someone while pressing multiple buttons in the elevator and waving her arms erratically. The video drew worldwide interest in the case due to her strange behavior and has been extensively analyzed and discussed. It was reposted widely, including on the Chinese video sharing site Yoku, where it got 3 million views 40,000 comments in just the first 10 days of it being posted. Many of the commenters found it unsettling to watch. Of course, several theories came about to explain her actions on the CCTV footage. One was that she was trying to get away from someone and was frantically pushing buttons to make the cart move. Um, others suggest that she might be under the influence of a party drug or ecstasy, but of course that was, you know, debunked in her autopsy. None of that was found. When her bipolar disorder came to light, the theory that she was having a episode also emerged, which in my opinion was the most likely. And even later on we'll get to it, but the autopsy technician also kind of said that the 
bipolar disorder kind of was, you know, a problematic issue in her accidental death. We'll get there. Now, other viewers argued that the video had been tampered with because the timestamp was kind of weird. They claimed that some of the parts was slowed down and you can tell that some of the parts were removed. Now, of course, this could have been done because, you know, they were trying to protect somebody's identity, whether it was related or not related to her disappearance. Um, police did say later on that, of course, it's edited. They're not going to post, you know, a 24-48 hour video from an elevator when only they need the important part of Elisa, right? So, of course, it's going to be edited, but they didn't tamper with anything else in the video. They just edited the part that they needed for the news and that was that. So let's uh, trek on over to the paranormal realm real quick. We'll get to the crime realm again in just a minute. Let's get into the Cecil Hotel as a whole. Now from Elisa to Richard Ramirez, the hotel has a history of bizarre horrors since it was built. The hotel was built in 1924 by hotelier William Banks Hanner and literally has been plagued by unfortunate and mysterious circumstances since. <laughs> it's gotten itself a very chilling reputation, to say the least. At least 16 different murders, suicides, and unexplained paranormal events has taken place at the Cecil Hotel, and it's even served as a temporary home of some of the America's most notorious serial killers. William initially built the hotel with a purpose to be a destination for international businessmen and social elites. He spent a whopping $1 million on the 700-room Beaux Art Style Hotel, complete with a marble lobby, stained glass windows, palm trees, and an opulent staircase. He would later regret his investment just two years after he opened the hotel because the world went to hell and went into the Great Depression. So LA, of course, you know, went with it. Soon enough, the area surrounding the hotel would be dubbed Skid Row and become home to thousands and thousands of homeless people. The once beautiful hotel soon gained a reputation as a meeting place for junkies, runaways, and criminals. Worse yet, the Cecil Hotel ultimately earned a reputation for violence and death. In the 1930s alone, the hotel was home to at least six reported suicides. A few residents ingested poison while others shot themselves, slit their own throats, or even jumped out their bedroom windows. In 1934, for example, Army Sergeant Louis D. Borden slashed his throat with a razor. Less than four years later, Roy Thompson of the Marine Corps jumped atop from the hotel and was found on the skylight of a neighboring building. The next few decades only saw more violent deaths. In September of 1944, 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell awoke in the middle of the night with a stomach pain while she was staying at the Cecil with Ben Levine, 38. 
She went to the bathroom so as to not, of course, wake Ben, who was sleeping in the bed. And by her complete shock, she gave birth to a baby boy. She had no idea she even was pregnant. Mistakenly thinking her newborn was dead, she threw her live baby out the window and onto the roof of the building next door. At her trial, she was found not guilty of murder by reason of insanity, and she was admitted to a hospital by, for psychiatric treatment. That's, that's a bad mistake. I don't know how you don't know that the baby's not alive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It only gets worse, guys. <laughs> it only gets worse. In 1962, 65-year-old George Gianni was walking by the Cecil with his hands in his pockets when he was struck to death by a falling woman. Pauline Oten, 27, had jumped from the ninth floor after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Her fall killed both of them instantly. Police initially thought the two had committed suicide together, thinking that he also jumped with her, but George was still wearing shoes, and if he jumped from the ninth floor with her, his shoes, you know, might have fallen off. Depends on, I guess, the shoes. That's just their theory they had. In light of the suicides, mishaps, and murders, Angelinos promptly dubbed the Cecil, quote, the most haunted hotel in Los Angeles. And we all know I am a Ghost Adventures binge watcher. Okay, I've been watching since day one, even though it was, you know, a little cheesy back in the day, but, you know, I still loved it. And they've gotten so much better. They do so much better. They get so much more stuff. I love it. Anyway, not to rant on my love for that. Ghost Adventures Cecil Hotel was an episode, right? They did their own little kind of, um episode on Discovery Plus in 2021. You can watch it. Tell me what you think about it because they caught some really cool stuff on there, not gonna lie. Now, not only did all those tragic deaths and suicide happen, here comes the serial killers. In the mid-1980s, Richard Ramirez, murderer of 13 people, better known as the Night Stalker, lived in a room on the top floor of the hotel during much of his horrific killing spree. After killing someone, he would throw his bloody clothes into the Cecil Hotel's dumpster and solder into the hotel lobby either completely naked or only in his underwear, quote, none of which would have raised an eyebrow, writes journalist Josh Dean, Quote, since the Cecil in the 1980s was total, unmitigated chaos. Now, at the time, Ramirez was able to stay there for a mere $14 a night. And with corpses of junkies reportedly often found in the alleyways near the hotel, even in the hallways sometimes, Ramirez's blood-soaked lifestyle surely raised nary an eyebrow at the Cecil. So, of course nobody questioned anything because like who would question it it's probably just another junkie right i mean he kind of looked like one but yeah they didn't give it two two blinks right in 1991 australian
So, of course, you know, suicides, murders, etc. happen there. Accidental deaths, tragic deaths, etc., etc. What about some serial killers, right? Richard Ramirez in the mid-1980s stayed there. Murderer of 13 people, better known as the Night Stalker. He lived on the top floor of the Cecil Hotel during most or all of his killing spree. Now, after killing someone, he would throw his bloody clothes into the Cecil Hotel's dumpster and go into the lobby completely naked and or in underwear, which of course didn't, you know, raise any concerns because at the time, that place was in chaos. Like, you had junkies dying in the alleyways, in the hallways. <laughs> Nobody really raised an eyebrow at someone who was naked or in their underwear or bloody clothes, you know what I mean? Now, at the time, he stayed there for a mere $14 a night, and of course, you know, no one really questioned it. Like I said, it's just kind of, you know, his lifestyle fit that place to a T for the time being before all the crap went down with him. Now, in 1991, Austrian serial killer Jack Utterweger, who strangled prostitutes with their own bras, also called the Hotel Home. Rumor has it that he chose the hotel because he, you know, liked Richard Ramirez and its connection to him. So, he went and lived there as well. Because the area around the Cecil Hotel was popular with prostitutes, he would stalk these environments and search for victims, right? One prostitute he is believed to have killed vanished right down the street from the hotel while he claimed to have, quote, dated the hotel's receptionist. Now, we're not going to get into all that, but, you know, another serial killer to the list. And while some episodes of violence in and or around the hotel, you know, are attributable to known serial killers, some murders have remained unsolved. For instance, a local woman around the area named Goldie Osgood was found dead in her ransacked room at the Cecil, and she had apparently been raped before suffering a fatal stabbing and beating. The one suspect was found walking with bloodstained clothes nearby. He was later cleared, and her killer was never convicted or found. Another instance of disturbing violence while at the Cecil that had gone unresolved. Now, another grimly noteworthy guest of the hotel was Elizabeth Short, aka Black Dahlia, after her 1947 murder in LA. She reportedly stayed at the hotel just before her mutilation, which remains unsolved. Um, we did cover her, so. Now, what connection her death may have had to the Cecil is unknown. But what is known is that she was found on the street not far away on the morning of January 15th with her mouth carved ear to ear, her body cut in two, blood gone. Such stories of violence are not simply a thing of the past decades after short. One of the most mysterious deaths ever to take place at the Cecil Hotel happened as recently as 2013 with Elisa Lamb. Alright guys, we're going to take a short momentary break. If you haven't already, go use the bathroom, get you a drink, get you some snacks, and then when you come back, 
we're going to finish this episode. Now that you know a little bit of a backstory about the Cecil Hotel, aka Stay on Main, um, let me know your theory. What are you thinking? What do you think? Paranormal? Mental illness? A mixture? One? The other? Let me know. Email me or, you know, start a discussion on Facebook. I'm sure everybody would love a discussion on Facebook. We have the group. Join. Now, um, during the search for Elisa, guests at the hotel began complaining about low water pressure. Some also claimed that their water was kind of a black color and it had an unusual or weird taste. You know where I'm going with this. On the morning of February 19th, Santiago Lopez, a hotel maintenance worker, found her body in one of the 4,000 gallon tanks located on the roof providing water to, you guessed it, the guests, and a kitchen, and a coffee shop. Through the open hatch, he saw her lying face up in the water. Now, of course, the tank was drained, cut open on the side because the hatch was too small to get the equipment in there to remove her remains. While the initial autopsy reports were inconclusive, on February 21st, the LA coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning. So here are some audio excerpts from the Netflix documentary series when I was watching them um, with the people who were staying at the hotel during the time and the water the maintenance worker who I had to translate on audio and the um, bookstore manager at the time who remembered Elisa. So I'm gonna input the audio here and we'll continue in a minute. Also, we noticed um, that the water pressure was very low. turning the tap on, just why is the pressure blocked? Why is there no water pressure? And the water was quite discolored. It was, it was like a, uh, a dark color, like a, it had like a brown tint to it. We were brushing our teeth using that water. We were showering in that water. Uh, we did um, drink the water, but it did have a funny taste to it. Um... We complained and moved to a different room, two floors up. The water pressure never got better. The receptionist told us that they will ask maintenance guys to come and get it looked at. There was a complaint about the water pressure, so I asked maintenance to check for possible clogs, you know, see if everything's okay. Siempre tenía que andar checando uno, alguna cosa que hubiera malo. Mantenimientos de 24 horas, de día y de noche. 
Entonces dije yo, pues, ok, voy a, voy a averiguarle. En el piso 3, y le abría la llave y se hacía. Le iba donde se abre, hace ruido. Entonces me, me, le dije, le conté al otro mi, mi compañero que le, hay un problema. que no había agua en el tanque, que se había tapado el principal tanque donde el agua empieza a circular, ¿va? por eso voy a ver. El techo de otras escaleritas para ver de llegar a los tanques. cuando dice a ver ah so I think about this often because from the moment she went missing and Her disappearance was investigated, and then later, her death. Um, I get I get asked about this a lot, and and I will also say, you know, I was I was one of many people at the bookstore who was working at the time that she came in. Um, but you know, she she was very outgoing. I think in a way that felt uh, overwhelming. And, and even possibly aggressive to some people because she was going up to folks and talking to them, asking questions about everything from, you know, their recommendations for books and music to places she should visit and how she could get there because she was a visitor using public transportation. Um, and for me, as, you know, another young woman, I was in my 20s at the time, I think I was, I don't know, five or six years older than her. And I also traveled by myself. There was a little bit of me that was like, oh, I get this. Like, you're on your own. You're feeling a little adrift in a new city and you want to find people to connect with. But I also know that there are aspects of that that certainly read Um, and I think it was the fact that she was asking so many questions and engaging with so many people that made her memorable to me and a number of other people who were in the store at the time. You know, I, at our heyday, when I was still at the last bookstore, we would see hundreds, if not thousands of people a day. And the fact that she was so gregarious made it easy for me to remember her um, and remember what our interaction was like. I constantly had to check for anything that could be broken. 24-hour maintenance, day and night. So I said, I'll go figure it out. In the 
on the third floor, I would open the faucet and it would go. When you turn on the faucet, it makes a noise. So I told my partner, I told him, there is a problem. The roof has four tanks. I thought there wasn't any water in the tank, or it was clogged. The main tank is where the water starts to circulate. I went to have a look. There is a ladder on the roof to get to the tanks. On top of the tank, there's a little hatch. And when I went to look, that's when I saw her. Mm -hmm. With bipolar disorder as a significant factor, the full coroner's report released in June stated that her body had been found naked Clothing similar to what she was wearing in the elevator video was floating in the water, coated with a sand-like particulate. Her watch and room key were also found with her. Elisa's body was moderately decomposed and bloated. It was mostly greenish with some marbling evident on the abdomen and skin separation evident. There was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicologist tests showed traces consistent with prescription medication found among her belongings plus non-prescription drugs such as Sinotab and ibuprofen, a very small quantity of alcohol, about 0.02% was present, but no other recreational drugs, so again that takes out ecstasy or date rape drugs, etc. Okay. Investigators and experts have, however, noted that the concentration of her prescription drugs in her system indicated that she was under-medicating or stopped taking her medications recently. Date of death was February 1st, 2013, and she was found February 19th, 2013. If you want to see her full autopsy report, which is, yes, available online, um, you can find the link in the podcast description. So if you look at the description of the podcast, I will have it listed there just so you can go on there and read. I was going to post some screenshots, but this thing is like 20 plus pages long. So, you know, read it if you want. It's very interesting to see what all they found and um, get their point of view. So it'll be listed in the description. Or, and also I'm going to list it on Facebook as well when I post the new episode that it's out and whatever. So um, just a little break here. If you have not joined Facebook, look up the podcast name, join the Facebook group because I do post some stuff on there, uh, updates, random photos, news, all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, join. It's good information tidbit. Anyway, I'm posting the link on there and it'll be in the description. So, what was the cause? 
right? We all want to know. The investigation had determined how she died, but did not initially offer an explanation as to how she got in the tank in the first place. Doors and the stairs that access the hotel's roof are locked, with only staff having the passcodes and the keys, and any attempt to force them would supposedly have triggered an alarm, just like you would if you go to a restaurant. You go out the wrong door, you get that embarrassing alarm, you get the same thing there. The hotel's fire escape would have allowed her to bypass those security measures, though. Her scent trail was lost near the window that did connect to it, so, you know, she probably did bypass those and go up. A video posted to the internet after her death showed that the hotel's roof was easily accessible via the fire escape and that two of the lids of the water tanks were indeed open. Now, of course, besides how she got on the roof, people were asking, how'd she get in the tank by herself? How'd she get in, you know, in the nude in the tank? You know, all that kind of stuff. All four tanks were four by eight. The cylinders propped up on concrete blocks. There was no fixed access to them, and hotel workers had to use a ladder to look at the water. So, when he went to maintenance, the water tank he had to use a ladder to get up into the tank where was the ladder question mark I mean you know people had these doubts and speculations that someone murdered Elisa um, which we're not really not gonna get into but people did have the theory that she was running away from someone and that someone worked at the hotel and that the manager covered it up and etc 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 it's a whole thing you know, if you go online, you can find the theories online that you can look through. Um, there's just a lot, so I didn't really include much of those, just the paranormal and the crime aspect. Of course, people still stick by their theories that she was under the influence of illicit drugs. They are not dissuaded, even though the toxicology screen came back negative. Um, suggesting, right, that they might have broken down during the period of time her body decomposed in the tank or that she may have taken rare cocktails of such drugs that a normal screen would not detect. Um, would those theories be valid? Maybe. You know, maybe. She was in there for a good solid minute. Um, all in all, when they did her autopsy, they did not find anything. Does that mean that anything was not there? No. We don't know. We won't know. So, the autopsy report and its conclusions were also questioned based on the incomplete information. For instance, it does not say what the results of the rape kit and the fingernail kit were or even if they had been processed. It also records um, that under the skin pulling of the blood in her anal area, which some observers suggest was a sign of sexual abuse. One pathologist noted it could have resulted from bloating in the course of the body's decom decomposition, excuse me, and her um, rectum was also prolapsed. So, you know, the coroner's pathologists were um, ambivalent about their conclusion that her death was accidental. They don't have any doubt, question mark, or anything. They totally put it as accidental, and that's where it's been. 
After her death, her Tumblr blog was updated, presumably through Tumblr's Q option, which, you know, I never had Tumblr. I was never really a Tumblr person, but it kind of lets you queue posts so you can schedule for a predated day and time. That makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. Now, her phone was not found with her remains or in her hotel room. Whether the continued updates to her blog were um, cued or was it someone who stole her phone? You know what I mean? Um, it's not known whether the updates are related to her death. We don't know. Now, in September 2013, her parents filed a wrongful death suit claiming that the hotel failed to inspect and seek out hazards in the hotel that presented an unreasonable risk of danger to her or hotel guests and seeking unspecified damages and burial costs. The hotel argued it could not have reasonably foreseen that she would end up in the water tank and since it remained unknown how she even got to the water tank, no liability could be assigned for failing to prevent it. In December 2015, the suit was dismissed, unfortunately. Um, today, not much is known about her family. They do live kind of, you know, under the radar as one would. I mean, you know, it's a horrible spotlight to be in. You know, they're trying to grieve their daughter and all they're getting is asked questions. Anyway, so they do live under the radar. Uh, we don't really know much. All I know is it seems like they want to heal, move on from their past. They don't want to be in the public eye, you know. Although, in saying that, it does appear as if they still own and operate Paul's Restaurant in North Burnaby. The restaurant specializing in homestyle Canadian and authentic Chinese food and still has its door open for service. It offers dine-in, takeaway, delivery, and after all, Paul's cozy and warm look hasn't changed much over the years either which is one of the most crucial factors pointing towards a shift in ownership and or management. So, this was from an article. Now, would that still be open? We can Google it. We can see. Have they changed ownership? We don't know. All I know is when I looked up the um, restaurant the food looks amazing and I would love to visit LA I would love to visit the um, Ghost Adventures uh, Zach Baggins Haunted Museum I would love to go eat this food and you know tour my little ghostly way around LA because LA is spooky now in pop culture we're going to go over some things that she inspired and or um, contributed to kind of thing uh, in spirit obviously through her death it all started in 2002 where it was kind of weird because you know her death was in 2013 but everybody was like oh my god it's an unusual resemblance with the horror movie Dark Water like ew that's kind of creepy right it also inspired a number of later creative work, including the final episode, Watershed, of 2013, of a season of the ABC series, Castle, 
another ABC series, How to Get Away with Murder, and parts of 2014 Hong Kong Malaysian horror film Hungry Ghost Ritual. In 2014, a music video um, of their song Ancient Mars, the Vancouver pop duo The Zolas envisioned the last day of her life. It shows a young girl exploring LA, enjoying simple pleasures, and taking photographs. In 2014, song Disappearing Syndrome by the American Post hardcore band Hell the Sun, and the 2018 song Elisa Lamb by industrial rock band Skynid, that's what I call it, it's spelled S-K-Y-N-D, were inspired by her case as well. In 2017, the American folk band Sun Kill Moon released two songs, Window Sash Waits and Stranger Than Paradise, which promoted the idea that the incident was a hoax. In 2016, an episode, The Bizarre Death of Elisa Lamb, which was a documentary series that BuzzFeed did, or BuzzFeed Unsolved did, they explored her incident, and, you know, um, her case also became a part of a 2018 horror film called The Follow. In 2021, her death was investigated in Discovery Plus, right, on Discovery Plus, the Ghost Adventures two-hour special that I told you guys to watch called The Cecil Hotel. Check it out. I think it's a neat one. It was good. It was really good. Intense. It was really good. Anyway, uh, yet again in 2021, a four-episode Netflix docuseries called The Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel also told you her story of her untimely death. Uh, which is also a good docuseries, and I watched it for this episode. So, hop on Netflix and Discovery Plus and tell me what you think. And of course, to this day, the hotel is still up and running, y'all. I'm telling you, you can go stay, you can go visit. It's a legit attraction that people go to. <laughs> um, it is also worth noting that if you go, it is not called the Cecil Hotel anymore. Unfortunately, they took the sign down. It is now renamed the Stay on Main because in 2007, the hotel was sold for $26 million and rebranded in 2011. And also, it was bought again in 2014 before closing in 2017 because it had to be revamped. Now, one uh, TikTok user that I came across called Pete Montezingo, I really hope I said his last name right, um, he lives directly across from the hotel. And he has called multiple paranormal um, activity clips and like, shadow figures, doors closing, lights coming on by themselves. Like, he's caught a lot of stuff, which I think is really cool. Now, is it for clout? Yeah, you don't know. Maybe. I mean, he's an influencer, you know, so sometimes they dramatize things, but I really, I really watched his live streams, and I think they're really interesting, so, and I, we all know Cecil Hotel is extremely haunted, so, you know, I really think he does catch stuff, but that's just me. Now, on Netflix, you can go watch that crime scene, The Vanishing of the Cecil Hotel that I told you about just now. It's also really, really good. I suggest it with the Ghost Adventures episode. Um, also, you can look up Elisa Lamb's Spirit Box on YouTube, find multiple, 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 multiple investigators who have their own Spirit Box and supposedly connect with her via that Spirit Box. Now, I do not claim that they are authentic videos, okay? Don't claim it. I'm just saying it's interesting. If you want to look at it, look at it. 
Um, you can also find the elevator video on YouTube as well as a overview of the water tank um, video as well. I don't really know how to describe that one. I'll post it on Facebook. If you haven't joined, you're going to miss out. So join. Other than that, we may really never know how or why she truly died that day, whether it be paranormal or, you know, was someone there with her or was this really just an untimely death due to mental illness. Some questions that people still have. How did she end up in the water tank? Why did she stop taking her medications? How come police did not find her on the roof? Why did they not look in the tanks? Was she really alone or was she being chased? Was the video edited by police or the manager? Why didn't the hotel do more after being made aware of her erratic behavior? You know that she seems mentally unwell. Why did you not do anything? Why was her death continued? Uh, to generate conspiracy theories and online attention, which that one's kind of a given, you know? It's, it's put in a very haunted place and you got a very weird looking like video and like whatever. People still ask that question though. And why and how was she naked? That's my question. Like, did she get undressed and get in the tank or did she get undressed in the tank? Like, why? Why was she even naked? I don't understand that part. And, of course, there's many more questions people still have. You know, it just just is what it is. It's one of those spooky, ooky cases, you know. So, that's all I got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Tell me your theories. Like I said, email me, morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. Join us on Facebook and join us on Instagram. Hope you have a good night. I hope you enjoyed today's case. Tune in again every other week, that is bi-weekly, to hear another riveting case. I'll catch you next time on a new episode of Morbid Curiosity. This is your host, Nicole, signing off.